Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Simkavi, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, which author and psychic reader, and you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S, a-I-D-A dot com. Also, our monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. And she does uh, tarot readings, psychic readings, mediumship, um, any type of spiritual guidance you could possibly need, she offers it. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guests for today are Dave and Craig. And they are um, independent filmmakers. And they've made some demonic type of stuff that we can talk about. And uh, even a love story. So, thanks for coming out, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Gary, for having us. So, I, I did get the right guy. I don't know how, I didn't want to mess up your last name. So, if you want to say your last name, just put it out there. <laughs> Not important. As long as you don't throw rocks at me, you can call me anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. So, I, I was just watching um, the trailer for Demon Hunter before we got on. And um, what makes Demon Hunter any different from The Exorcist? The name, Demon Fighter. Demon Fighter. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Demon Hunter is another movie, right? There is a Demon Hunter. Exactly. I think there's ours. a Demon Hunter. I don't know. Yeah, there is. Yeah. That's not ours. It's an old movie. What makes it different? Mm. Well, um, our exorcist is a master kung fu artist who uh, was raised in some pretty tough environments, uh, grew up with a junkie prostitute mother, uh, watched her die, uh, lived on his own for quite a bit, uh, went to prison uh, where he learned to fight and came out, uh, he decided to become a priest, became a Jesuit priest, uh, and eventually was ordained as a exorcist. Uh, that's probably the main difference. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest is the storyline. Uh, our storyline isn't built upon some little girl that needs saving, but a whole family that uh, right. is basically captured. And it's inspired by uh, true events, uh, something that really happened in the late 1500s. A gentleman by the name of uh, Mr. Starkey, he uh, and his family had uh, thought that their children were possessed. Mm -hmm. So they hired this guy who's supposed to be able to help them. And uh, all he really does is recognize that they have an illness, which they get over. But he convinces the family that they need him for a period of two years where he's staying there, being room and boarded and paid and everything like that, finally Mr. Stark says, wait a minute, this is a whole lot of malarkey. They get into it, and uh, Mr. Stark accuses him of witchcraft, of drawing a circle, standing inside the circle, and inviting him into it, which at that time was a symbol of craft, uh, very frowned upon, and punishable by the uh, this man. So his unsettled spirit is looking to revenge itself on uh, the prodigy of uh, the Stark the family. And uh, he finds its way to America, where a Mr. Stark, who is a real estate agent, uh, broker, uh, realizes he may have rights to some uh, property in this 
huge estate, which is still there and still operated by the same people to this day. And uh, unfortunately, he gets uh, he gets uh, hooked up with some old relics, which are possessed. Puts a right from there, he becomes possessed and uh, talks his family into believing that he's trying to become some minister uh, and his real goal is to eliminate his family mm -hmm. that's the general gist of what's going on interesting mm -hmm. I, <clears throat> do you think that there's any substance to the idea of possession yeah uh, whether it's on a level that objectively anybody could see and say, oh, yeah, that guy's obsessed or possessed, pardon me, mm -hmm. uh, or whether the person who is suffering this dilemma believes it. And that self-belief uh, has driven a lot of people to do a lot of crazy stuff in the world to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, we see mass killings. We see horrendous things going on just recently some guy traveled across the united states to go steal a young girl and he murders the grandparents the mother and burns the house down takes the girl and has a shootout in the desert and dies right he, he's possessed with something uh so how do you justify that as a quote sane world you know mm -hmm. if there's such a thing we do have a general standard of civility and social norms and you know ways to behave and when you fall below or above way above it we start looking at him going what's wrong with this person mm -hmm. is there something wrong hmm. so you know it's like they say you are who you believe you are right interesting so that, you think that's why this topic is still popular after so many years throughout history, the idea of possession is because we see people create these, do these horrible acts, and we look at them and go, well, what possessed them? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you to Craig here in a minute because he's got stories about his own family, oh. his uh, grandmother, uh, who uh, actually... Uh, did things with uh, crystal, crystal balls but with uh, Ouija boards, mm -hmm. uh, and she believed it. So if you want to share that with us, Craig. Yeah, with that said, Gary, my, my dad's mom, my grandmother, um, with her next-door neighbor, would always consult with her Ouija board, tarot cards, and crystal ball. Growing up in that environment, I didn't see them as being sinister. She made it very clear with the Ouija board, and she had a procedure going in and going out. And she likened it to like deep sea fishing. She goes, once you put your line out there, you never know exactly what you're going to hook up with. And to drive a point along what David's line is here, my grandmother was a was a she wrote lyrics she wrote music scores and there was one piece that she wrote that she couldn't find it's called come fly with me which later on of course frank sinatra recorded and she couldn't find her sheet music you know fast forward a little bit years passed or sometime passed and she was making my dad bed now my dad had long since moved out and the Ouija board had spelled out to her. She consulted the Ouija board with her friend, and it spelled out bed drawer. And she had no idea what that was all about. Well, when she was just making the bed, changing the linen as she routinely would, she noticed this drawer. So she pulled it out, and laying there on top was her manuscript. You know, that's how she would use it for good things. And she said, conversely, you have to be very careful because the opposite, if you believe in good, well, you have to believe in evil. So it's a case to be really careful. The family in question with our film, Evil Down the Street, you know, a different experience. That family I had known for years and years and years, long before becoming a filmmaker, 
And in that case, the Ouija board went in a different direction. Every everything, let's say, itself went in a different direction. So you you certainly have the opportunity of some good, which is debatable by people, and you certainly hear the stories where the Ouija board is, even though it's made by Parker Brothers, it's not necessarily a parlor game. It's, it's something to be taken seriously. Hmm. Do you think? Yeah, you know, there's stories too, like about. I mean, I do believe that the Ouija board, you know, opens, you can open communication, use the Ouija board as a tool to communicate. I've partaked in many seances with psychics and Ouija boards and crystal balls. Like, I've done all of that. Um, and the, the, the key seems to be, you know, usually one is intention. And then, you know, afterwards is, is closing the portal. Because um, if you don't do that, then other things can continue to use that opportunity to come through. Now, whether those entities, are they just energy? Are they consciousness? Are they actual spirits of deceased? Are they archaic angels that were kicked out of heaven? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, for myself... Um Getting back to my comment about you are what you believe you are, mm -hmm. uh, I think that projects itself into exactly what you're saying. You know, if you believe, like some people believe, you know, if a crow or two crows follow you, that's the spirit of death, you know, following you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know if all that's true, but I absolutely believe if you believe it to be, then it's a self-induced prophecy. It's something that you will eventually uh, succumb to. And when you do start to have a problem, you'll go, oh, I remember the, the two crows, the black. Yeah. So uh, people see what they want to see. They, they hear what they want to hear. Our fear is an extreme motivator. Mm -hmm. Fear is an extreme motivator. It has created heroes. It has taken what we would assume to be a hero and created a coward. You know, so it, it, it's not something that we can gauge necessarily in a general context. It's more something of an individual belief system. Like any religion, I'm not a religious guy, I believe wholly in God, uh, extremely in God, but I don't believe in religion. Mm. Now, I've had people say, how can you believe in God and not believe in religion? Well, pretty easy. Man made religion, God's God. End of issue. Not much to discuss for me. Uh, I've had uh, issues with a lot of the uh, ceremonial aspects of religion. And I understand the indoctrination process of those applications. I get it. There's a control factor, which eventually they think will bring you to a belief mm -hmm. that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to end up with this, you know, result. Well, you know, faith to me is, is based on where your heart is. You know, what, what happens to you? And I have myself personally uh, been in the throes of evil and called on God to save me and have been saved many, too many times. Uh, I quit doing those things. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> too many times. Well, it worked. You're still here. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. You know, and, I, and guess what? I thank God. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I do believe that manifestation of good and bad is of an individual uh, belief system. You know, uh, uh, those who do good think good. Those who do bad think bad. And I've seen that over and over in my lifetime, uh, the way I grew up, where I grew up, and people I've been around, and the things I've done, the different types of careers, paths that I've had. So uh, uh, to not believe in evil is a foolish mistake. To not believe in good is equally as foolish. So the balance between the two, the yin, the yang, if you want, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a truly there. Karma is, 
is based on that balance. You know, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I totally think that ghosts, spirits, those things exist. And uh, they come to people in different forms. Uh, sometimes in the form of meeting somebody. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, as a frustrated uh, artist, I've been one all my life <laughs> since I was a kid. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating thing. I uh, almost gave up, went to law school, did that for uh, 28 years, and still was performing and doing stuff. But then one day I said, what am I doing? By this time, I'm, I'm an extreme adult. <laughs> and, uh, now I'm an older guy. And uh, I start saying, no, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I I'm not wasting any more of my life on the pursuit of this other stuff. That is not me. And I, I quit the firm I was with and decided to go back, got an agent, started getting parts right away, and then decided I, I love acting, mm -hmm. but I really like directing. I really love directing. And I just kept saying, I need to meet the right person that I can work with. I was on the set of another of a film. Um, and this guy was on there named Todd Chase, and he kept telling me, I know this guy. I know this guy named Craig Aarons. you got to meet him. He, he reminds me of you. He, he's really he's really focused. He's determined. He, he reminds me of him. I'm like, all right, all right man, I'm busy. You know, this went on for a little over a year. Now, fine, yeah, he was a pest. Finally, finally, uh, to pacify him, to shut him up, I said, all right, give me his number. I'll call him right now. And I called Craig, and within minutes, I knew I should have called and met this man years ago. But <laughs> it wasn't the right time for me to meet him. Right. So, you know, there you go. You know, and I and I had prayed on that. You know, and, and boom, I, I meet him, and uh, that was four films ago. So, you know, four features and, uh, I don't know, eight or nine scripts that we've put together since. So, yeah. uh, I, I do believe there's a fate and there's a, there's certainly a destiny that we all must pay attention to the signs in order to realize. And that to me was a good spirit that was knocking on my door. If you ever met Todd Chase, You'd say this is a good spirit. Yeah. He's a really good man. Yeah. And and uh, and he would not take no for an answer. <laughs> I mean, he would not. He was persistent. And, yeah. Uh, I'm so glad he was. God bless him. Hmm. Yeah. I think like the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, sometimes it speaks through other people. Yes. So true. So true, Gary. Um, to add a little bit to what David said, I agree everything that he just said but in addition to it from a demonic possession i have experienced that with someone close to me in my life so you certainly have the mental aspect mm -hmm. and when you have demons on various levels on various levels yeah, the person is an open portal if you will which you had mentioned and they're receptive to that possibility, I went through it firsthand. So I, I, you know, both both cases, like what David said, and what I experienced, um, yeah, I, both go hand in hand, or certainly both exist. Something exists, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know how any of it really works. But, you know, one of the things that in, in David's answer that stuck out to me, though, is that people are – it's going to be based on what we're, our belief systems and how we perceive. So in a lot of ways, and one of the big themes in my podcast a lot of times is how we are creating reality. You know, we are creating the reality. We are creating the narrative. We are creating the script. Yeah. We are framing it. Each individual in this world, in their own way, is their own filmmaker. Yeah. Writing, doing their own movie. Well said. 
There's a book called The Four Agreements. Yeah, I know that. I, it's a great book. Uh, I've read it a few times. I, I definitely try to practice it. It's the hardest thing I've ever tried to implement. It is not easy. But one of the aspects of the book is talking about dream. Now, we're in a constant state of dreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, and it, it manifests very strongly when we go to sleep because then there's no restrictions. It's mm-hmm. free, you know, and you do all kinds of stuff, right? But when we're awake, it's still the dream. And it's people who sit around and say, you know, I'd really like to do this in my life. And then they follow it up with, but that's not real. I got to do X. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. ah, that's where it dies. That's where it dies. You know, and you can't do that. Uh, Alvis Presley, not to get cornball here. But Elvis Presley made a movie years ago, Follow That Dream. And it took place on a, on a beach with a, a bunch of uh, poor ass people who were traveling across to get to California and their raggedy ass vehicle broke down. So they parked it on the beach and they start setting up stuff. And because they're diligent and productive, they started making things, various things and selling them to tourists. And that was their whole goal in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, if you've ever watched Elvis movies, uh, as a kid, I watched every one of them. Uh, that, are you kidding? I wanted to be Elvis in the worst way, but <laughs> can't sing worth a damn. Didn't look that good. So <laughs> I was stuck with me. But that is so true. You know, we can create our own realities and we can create our own reality hell or own reality paradise. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you want to be? Is it? You know, yes. when I see these people running around happy all the time, I used to think, why are they so damn happy? They <laughs> on the street for me. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and and then one day I realized they're happy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're happy here. You know, and that is what I see on the outside is just reflective of that. Yeah. And uh, that that realization really hung with me. Uh, it changed my mind about a lot of things. Uh, I do a lot of different types of art, mm-hmm. uh, creative art and uh, music, and uh, makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I can't do one, I do another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got mm-hmm. you. Me too. I podcasts. You can see behind me. Bunch of guitars. I was looking at that. You know, right on. I've written a Very book. Nice. So I'm always doing creating something. Um, you know, I haven't gotten rich off of it yet. But well, it's, but it's sure what you I have. But it's what I do to. I don't want to feed my own spirit, and, and, yeah. and it's my way of putting something out into the world Amen. that I hope is useful to other people. You know. Yes. And, and, and I also think it's important useful in your lifetime. Yeah. It may not know. be useful in your lifetime. It may wait and afterwards and people will say, Grandpa was so creative. He inspired me. Yeah. He, that's why I'm in art school because my grandpa just loved to draw and loved to paint. Mm-hmm. And he could write poetry too. I mean, just think about the impact you have not knowing you have it. Yes. You know, and, and that in itself is a purposeful life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, art's well, sort of so. becoming devalued in our culture, I think, now. Unfortunately. Are you kidding? Look at rap music. You don't have to know how to sing. You just have to wear strange clothes and be able to rhyme some nonsense. Now, a lot of times they put a lot of pretty cool phrases together. But when rap first started, it was all nonsense. With guys with big balloon pants. I mean, it, it just, uh, I was like, what the hell? Uh, I knew some pretty famous artists, uh, personally, and one of them, like James Brown, he stand rap music. Hmm. He just absolutely could not stand it and, and said that that's not music. That's, that's some strange poetry of that, that strange rhymes to, to rhythms. That's it. And mm-hmm. today, if you look at all these people, 
don't get me wrong, there's some awesome vocal artists out there that are incredible. But come on, where's the Marvin Gaye? You know, I mean, yeah, uh, not not there, not yeah. there. How important do you think it is? You know, one of the reasons I do the podcast is because I'm a really big advocate of independent media. Well, you know, because one of the things that's different now than it was, say, 30 years ago, is that people can create their own product and put it out. Before you right. had to wait and hopefully get a job with, like, say, MGM or, or Universal Studios or whoever was the, making the movies – to get them to make your movie, but now people don't need to do that. People like you and can can make your own stuff and market it yourselves. And and I, do you think that what you're doing is changing the landscape of how of of filmmaking and media in general? Well, I'm going to say absolutely on that. You know, with, with what David and I have created thus far, Gary. We've done it our way mm -hmm. from, from all aspects. Like David touched on pre-production. That's hugely important. And that's really more David's side of the ledger. But from pre-production, production, post-production, post and marketing, to your point, our fingerprints are on everything, man. We don't have a board of directors. We don't say, well, you know, let's go talk to so-and-so at the studio. Any edit that we've done in our films, we stand by. There's there's no edit in there that we'd say, oh, man, I, 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 I wish we would have done something different or we were told to do it a certain way that is nice from the creative process. Uh, on set, David as writer, director, he runs the show mm -hmm. and actors get that. I mean, actors and crew, they, they get that. And it's this this flow, this creative flow of, of all of us coming together to get that desired end result with outside influence from somebody else. Maybe you might want to add to that, David. I don't want to hog, hog that, but that's my two cents. Well, Craig and I collaborate on every aspect of what we're doing. Uh, whether he loves it and I don't, we don't do it. I love it and he don't, we don't do it. It's got to be something that we both mutually agree is good. And we've, we've shelved some projects that one of us would care about, change things, like Demon Fighter originally. Right. Wrote Demon Fighter, and I wrote it for me as the lead. And when we were done with it, we both nodded our head and said, yeah, yeah, this is it, this is it. And then one day, I had this epiphany. I just said, man, what am I doing? Nobody wants to see my old ass doing this. <laughs> Let's change this. So I told Craig, I said, you know what? We need to change this. We need to write it for a younger actor uh, just completely. And I told him why. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, boom. We changed it, and it was the best move we made on that film. Hmm. But as Craig said, everything, including the edits, we do all of that. And then we, of course, get it to our technicians who finalize it for us, tweak it, and make, make it worthwhile. But when we're done with a film, it's the best we've got it with what we have. We're proud of it. Yeah. Sometimes shamefully. <laughs> <laughs> but we're proud of it. And uh, we move on because we know yeah. we did the best we could do. And Fortunately, we've worked with some very talented crew. Yeah. Who have, uh, wow, I, I, I'm always amazed by their skills. And yes. I think that's one of the best things about Craig and I. We're not ego tripping. Mm -hmm. It's not about us. It's about the project. Right. And so if a technician says, well, you know what, guys, this is pretty cool, but I have this idea. Let me show it to you. And if it's good, we go, great, do it. Yes, because yeah, it, the result is what's important, and and we have this whole credo about uh, CRA Entertainment, our company, entertain, inform, and enlighten in that order. But our first responsibility is to entertain mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yes, and if we can't entertain the audience, we can't keep the audience. 
Simple as that. Yeah. And hopefully there's something embedded in it that maybe they have a moment of reflection and they go, hey, this reminds me of something. Wow. And maybe they have a true epiphany and they come to some enlightenment about something. But we're not didactic. We're not preachy. Right. We'll never do that. Uh, I can't stand that when somebody writes that into a film. Mm -hmm. I was making a comment uh, to somebody about uh, uh, First Blood, uh, Stallone's mm -hmm. uh, breakout movie, uh, I thought. Rocky, of course, made him, but First Blood, when I first saw the movie, I was like, I just love this character. All the way to the end, and then he got all didactic and preachy. Sitting there in the corner, oh, I only did it because you treat me into Vietnam veterans like crap, and if only they loved us. And ah, <laughs> wanted to vomit. I was like, oh my god, dude, why did they let him do that? You had a really good story, you know. He he could have summed it up in in two words, two simple words or or phrases, you know. Uh, we deserve better. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Everybody would have went, that's right. They did. They deserve <laughs> yes. better. But no, he went on to read the holy moly of it all and uh, <laughs> just killed me. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, know, that's just oh, go ahead. one example. I mean, mm -hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, it, it's not like they were making Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, right. you know, which is <laughs> supposed to be didactic and preachy. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely but does. It kills It kills the movie. When a movie yeah. be entertained. Movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Did, did you ever consider casting Chuck Norris for the part? Well, he's not an actor. He's, he's a, a martial artist. And uh, to a lot of people, he looked really good. You know, I remember when I first saw him coming out. Uh, I I thought he was I thought he was very interesting. Uh, he wasn't an actor, and yeah. even though he got a lot of stuff because he was he was famous, he made fame uh, simply by bringing martial arts in into TV. You know, on the on the big screen. Not you notice mm -hmm. he didn't do a lot of feature films. Yeah, there was a reason for that. Delta Force. Too many lines. Yeah, yeah Delta Force. Yeah, Delta Force, but that was mainly action. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a lot of lines, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that. So he's, he's, he's not to me what I think of when I think of an actor. You know, like Stallone has come into his own. It took a beating, <laughs> no pun intended with the guy, because I've always enjoyed his movies. But he came into his own, and, and he learned to act. He learned to pay attention and to react and to emote and to understand what was going on in the film uh -huh. properly, uh, not just recitation of lines. Uh, so, you know, the Van Damme, for example, uh, he worked really hard at, at trying to become a better actor. Uh -huh. uh, and over time... He became a better actor. He's not a great actor, but he became a better actor. But look at the way he looked. This was a handsome guy mm -hmm. who could move like lightning. Yeah. You know, and the girls were swooning over him. Some of the guys were swooning over him. So, you know, what are you going to say? You know, he's a box office draw. Yes. And Hollywood, as you mentioned earlier, that's their decision-making process. Can we make money? That's right. Hmm. So you wouldn't have casted him. Steven Seagal? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Get silence. You know, you know the, the thing that killed me like, was Steven no, Seagal. No, we're not going to comment on Steven Seagal. <laughs> what killed me was Steven Seagal a long time ago. I forget the movie. It's early in his career. And at this point, I was kind of liking the guy. Until he had to run. And he ran like a girl. I could I couldn't deal with it, Gary. And I just thought, oh my gosh, no, you know that no, somebody needs to work with him. This is this is and after that I just I was done. I was just done with him. He was preaching too. Oh, John Wayne had 
certain sway to his movement as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when he walked, the way he moved, he moved both hands in sync, his arms, not sideways like this. He was going, I mean, this way with his arms, if you ever watch him walk. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that brought a lot of attention to him. But again, here's an actor who uh, brought in an action ability, especially as a cowboy, and he learned to act. Yeah. He could actually do some acting. So he was a box office draw on all counts. You know, from what I understand, he was a pain in the ass on set. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was a he was a box office draw, and he, he made some really good movies. I watched most of his uh, westerns because I love westerns. Uh, and I was always fascinated by him and his characterization, you know, mm -hmm. Rooster Cockburn, uh, the very first mm -hmm. one that he did. True I mean, great. It was, it was, yeah, True it's great. Great. it was classic. That's right. He shoots, shoots that rat in the corner. <laughs> it's, when he's uh, at the very opening scenes, damn near, he's all drunk and shit. He says, there's a rat. He gets his gun. Bam! Yeah. <laughs> was a rat. <laughs> Actually, the remake was good too. I thought. I thought I he did a good job, but it it wasn't different. It mm -hmm. wasn't different. That's the only problem, and it didn't have um, God, what's his name? He played Red. Uh, oh. he played the lawyer in uh, 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 The Godfather. Uh, yeah. Um, now his name. Oh my gosh. Robert Duvall. Robert, Was it Robert Duvall. Duvall. Robert Duvall. He played the nemesis in True Grit, and he was good. You know, come on out here, rooster. You want me? Come and get me, God damn it! I mean, you know, he, 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 Duvall. I I love his movies. Yeah. Uh, he he really does bring. Now that's an actor. Yes. That's an actor. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, uh, we could go on and on and on. Godfather and Godfather 2, two of my favorite movies. Uh, I've watched them many times. Godfather 2 being better than Godfather 1, and Godfather 1 was a great movie. That's right. So how do you how do you mesh those? And then we get The Exorcist. I mean, I was blown away when that movie came out. I was already an adult. Scared yes. the bejesus out of me. Yes. I went home going <laughs> oh, yes. Great movie, uh, yeah. all the way around. Mm -hmm. uh, the acting, and even though now we look at the special effects and we go, "Really?" Right. Uh, they were they were state of the art, top notch at that time, and they worked. Yeah, right. they yeah. Worked. it's still it's still scary now as it was then to me. I I, I I would love this. I'm sure they've done this. Release it again. Uh, have a theatrical release. Yeah, I saw it in the because, theater. In yeah, okay, the, there in you the are. 90s. I think Beautiful, like, 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 like for like for David and myself, you know, we saw that when it first came out, mm -hmm. and so you're sitting there, and they they down the lights. It's like, oh my gosh! I mean, it was all oh, everybody. We all had nightmares. It was scary <laughs> as hell, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, it, it really was. <clears throat> you know, one of the things like with Two True Grit, and like and it was written, you know, it was done by the Cohen brothers. My understanding with the Cohen brothers are. Is that when they write, when they do a movie, their script is followed word by word, and there's no improv at all. How do you guys work? Do you guys, you know, strictly follow a script, or do you give your actors some creative creative freedom to do what they want with the character and the script? Well, I I do a lot of the writing, mm -hmm. and I am not uh, ego written. So when we get on set. If I have a really good actor who comes up with something, and and I know the script word by word for every comma, period. And uh, if he comes up with one, like Jeff Hatch worked in two of our films, The Crumbs and in Demon Fighter. Mm -hmm. And he would often come up with something that I'd say, that's great, keep it. I, I'm not married to the script. I'm married to the project. Mm -hmm. yeah. Want the project to be excellent. And and Jeff just has this creative ability. He's so imaginative. And uh, he was one of the actors that I liked working with because I would give him minimum direction. He already knew what he was doing. 
and he would always come across and he put in some stuff. If it was too much, I'd say, well, that's a little too much. Mm-hmm. And he says, I was thinking that too, but I just thought I'd throw it out there, see, see what happens. <laughs> that's good. Right on. But yeah, yeah no, we, we give that, uh, I do it all the time, uh, Maria Olson in the crumbs. Uh, her as well was like that. Uh, she'd come up with something and I'd say, yeah, keep That's it. Right. That works. Uh, Craig and I both That's right. feel very strongly about the creativity of everybody, every artist, uh, whether you're a technician or you're an actor or a costumer, it doesn't matter. If you have an idea, we want to hear it. If it's good, mm-hmm. we're going to adopt it. If it's bad, you know, I'm not going to say what the hell's that, but I will say, <laughs> uh, well, let's stay with what we got. Right. You know, and, and we'll move on. Uh, so allowing that to happen is, is very important for us because people who involve themselves in this art form, they're beaming with imagination. And to deny that fruition of that imagination is silly. That's right. It's so ego-oriented. This isn't about David Espinosa or Craig Ahrens. It's about the project. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Hmm. You guys are in California, I'm assuming? Yes. So so you you guys probably don't have any problems finding actors. I've interviewed other filmmakers in other places. I have a friend over here like by me. He's in Philadelphia. And one of the things that he has, he has issues with trying to get casting because it's oh. Philadelphia, you know, and there's not that many actors. Um, but I guess in California, you guys don't have that problem. I'm surprised you say that, Gary, because I have a number of friends in Philly hmm. that are actors. There, there's a lot of really talented people in Philly. Um, now, one thing I'll have to say, I don't know if you're a baseball guy. You just signed Trey Turner from... My beloved Dodgers. So mm-hmm. as soon as you say Philadelphia, go, <laughs> but short of that, short of that, back on the back on topic, you know, there's a lot of really good actors there. David and I, we pull. David lives in Northern California, and we pull from the L.A. area and also mm-hmm. Northern California. But that surprised me about Philly because there's a there's a lot of talent there. Yeah, I think too. Like he financed it himself. Like he's just a regular guy working in a call center, who. You know, financed the movie and just grinded at it for like 10 years to get it out. Good for him. Good for him. I, If I may comment on that, I, I, I think that's uh, uh, power to him uh, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'll never do that. We'll never do that. <laughs> First yeah. of all, we don't have any money. Second off, uh, having... People who see your vision gives you credibility. Being driven by your own money input creates insecurity mm-hmm. because you have a vision now and you're backing it with your own cash. If we back it with somebody else's money, there's a, there's a comfort cushion there uh, that tells us that we are on the right track. We mm-hmm. have these people who... And like the evil down the street, uh, people finance that for us, and we paid them back within a year of the movie being released uh, right. from the proceeds of the film, mm-hmm. uh, not out of our pockets. And we were very proud of that, and they've been earning profit for the last four years mm-hmm. uh, on that film. Uh, that created an air of confidence that we knew what we were doing. So we start a project by creating a business plan, right? Uh, accompanying the script, uh, very tight. What we're doing, why we're doing it, who's doing it, where we're doing it, how we're doing it, and that is what gave people confidence in our credibility yes. and wanting to work with us. And then, fortunately, about over half of those people who were involved in the evil down the street said, I don't want my money back. Roll it over into the crumbs. Yeah. 
we like you guys. You you are organized. Uh, you're you're confident. You you come in on time. We shot these films in two weeks. Wow. Just about every one of our films. Yeah, uh, you guys are like um, uh, who was that guy who did those Edgar Allan Poe movies? I can't. Corman, Roger Corman. Oh um, yeah, he would crank sure. out like a oh, movie yeah. a week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he cranked he cranked them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he cranked them out. Uh, it's it's important to us to we run our what we do as a business, and we we implore everybody who works with us to think that way, mm-hmm. to stay focused. Uh, we like to have fun. Uh, we finance every aspect. We feed everybody and not pizza three times a day. Uh, we cater we cater our sets mm-hmm. if you're there and we're shooting into the night you're getting three meals a breakfast a lunch and a dinner uh, plus a, we have a snack tables and all the different types of drinks and all that stuff and if you need to stay we house you uh, right. we provide transportation if needed uh, we pay weekly uh, there's no promises here oh oh at the back end when we make some money we're gonna pay I won't do that personally I won't work for, for credit and food. Right. Period. Yeah. Uh, and I don't expect anybody else to. Right. So we're very adamant about uh, how we run the process, run our, our sets. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, when people leave and not work, they go, well, the film is shitty, but boy, they sure are professional. You know, so, <laughs> we, we can always feel good about that, you know, regardless of anything else. And we brought people in from, you know, Utah and all over the state uh, and uh, housed them. When we shot the crumbs, we rented the entire compound. Yeah. The uh, big cabin and all those cabins around it mm-hmm. and housed all the actors and, and bought hotel space uh, in the Placerville, Hangtown, uh, up in the the hills here in Northern California. Right. Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, we hired a caterer who was there, crack of dawn, making breakfast for everybody mm-hmm. uh, because we had early morning calls, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and uh, we expect people to give us their best, so that means they have to eat. Mm-hmm. They have to be treated right. And uh, if you can't Amen. do that, yeah, then you shouldn't be involved in the business. Okay, yeah. we get a lot of, you know, I, I get a lot of solicitations. You know, I'm I'm shooting this film. Could you help me finance it? We'll get it. No, I don't know yeah. who you are or what you do, and you know what's your background. Craig has an incredible business background. He was a mortgage uh, financer, uh, broker right. for many many years. He's ran businesses. Uh, I've ran a few businesses. I've also got a Pretty strong background legally, uh, in contract law, etc., negotiations, and those that types of things. And I have a strong performance background as well, you know, uh, in directing and acting and writing. And, and uh, Craig, likewise, strong performance background, uh, both SAG after actors. Uh, so when people look at what we do, they look at who we are. And like us or not, we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not said facetiously. True. Uh, we we have a certain idea of what we're doing, how we're doing it. We're not the best, mm-hmm. and we've had a strong learning curve on every single film. Uh, yeah, that's just the way that goes. But uh, man, we sure try hard. Yeah. That's right. That's all we can do. That's how you learn is by doing it. My podcast. I didn't really learn how to figure out how to do it after a hundred episodes. Right. Yes. <laughs> it took me that long yeah. to really figure out like how am I going to do this? Like, yeah. You know, what works? What doesn't work? Sure. So that's the dream. So being in Northern California, do you have any ideas on making a Bigfoot movie? <laughs> Come on, I need to make a Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot movies. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's funny because Sasquatch uh, is very alive and well up here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And and uh, ironically, uh, 
that topic's come up before with other people I knew, other filmmakers, you know, about making a Bigfoot movie. And uh, I'm like, well, the plot's pretty simple. People go looking for him. They find him, and he chases them and kills them because he can't let anybody know he's alive. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. One guy gets away, but nobody believes it. <laughs> yeah, you know, right, Bigfoot. Ah. Oh, it could be much more complicated. It could be like, you know, Bigfoot is working for aliens, and the aliens are working for the CIA, and the CIA <laughs> hey. is actually Russian ops. It could go on forever. <laughs> and it, it, it's like Sharknado. You know, that feels like, you know, I mean, it could be one of those, you know, Bigfoot NATO, you know, uh, he's got a whole clan of big feet and they all run around from the little ones to the big ones and, you know, they, they live in the mountains and they have an army and they're actually ran by the CIA and, you know, it's just, you, you, you know, the imagination can run as wild as the turkeys because the turkeys up here are everywhere. Yeah. I live in... I live in uh, Fair Oaks. It's uh, to the east of Sacramento and just below Roseville, uh, northeast, and right below uh, the foothills, basically, mm-hmm. uh, starting the Sierras. And there, there's turkeys everywhere. I used to tell Craig, I said, brother, you got to see these turkeys, man. They're all over the place, and they're flying up in the trees and on the roof. He goes, turkeys don't fly. I said, oh, no, they fly, man. They fly. So I took some video of the turkeys flying. He was like, what the hell? And yeah. they'll be outside my front yard. There'll be like 14, 15 turkeys, a big male, several females, and the brood. Hmm. Just running around and like, and they own the place. Yeah. You, you, you can't, you know, I wouldn't disturb them anyway, but you know, when we first moved here, my wife was like, did you see that turkey on the wall? <laughs> so, so you could I mean, do you know, a remake of Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds with turkeys. He <laughs> <laughs> gobbled it all up, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of jokes in that one. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes. In but speaking of Hitchcock, he's one of my favorite directors. Uh, I, I used to watch his stuff all the time. Uh, there's a movie that he created called Rope. And it's a very famous movie. There's two cuts in the whole movie. Okay? And one of them is extremely difficult to find. Yeah. It has Jimmy Stewart in it and mm-hmm. other famous actors. Uh, and it's about these two college guys who uh, say they can kill somebody and get away with it and do it right under the nose of people. So they murder this guy, and they stick him in his big trunk, and then they set a tablecloth on it, and they put a bunch of food, and they have a party. Okay? <laughs> put the yeah. dead body in there. But it, it's a hell of a movie. I watched it because of the direction. Yeah. It was like a extremely well-rehearsed play. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock was amazing. He was amazing. Uh, now, of course, a lot of people say his work is cliche now. You know, I still don't think so. That's like saying the original Frankenstein was cliche now. Well, I don't think most people get the original Frankenstein. Hmm. He, the, 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 the Frankenstein monster, if you will, wasn't the monster. You know, and, and, and people don't get that. Yeah, it was Frankenstein you know? himself. Yeah, and and Igor. Yes. Igor was an ass. Igor was horrible. It was horrible what he did and how they mistreated uh, the creation. Mm-hmm. You know how he was mistreated. Uh, that's what created the problem. But mm-hmm. you know he was certainly ugly. So why not blame him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what projects do you have coming up? If it's not going to be a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> We have a few scripts we've uh, written, and uh, one's called The Preacher. Uh, the other one's called uh, Captives. And the one we're just finishing uh, that we really like called uh, Satan's Crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Preacher is about a preacher who believes he's God's vessel mm-hmm. and here to uh, straighten out man. Uh, That's, that is scary. Is about 
<laughs> it is. It's really yeah, scary. It, there's some really, there's oh, it, it really is, and there's some really uh, extreme scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very extreme scenes, uh, and it uh, has the Father Michael in it as well. Uh, we brought him back into that. Uh, the next one, Captives, is about Vietnam and how a Viet Cong soldier and a Viet and and a army soldier keep capturing each other off and on through a series of events. And after a while, they come in neighbors. Now, remember, wars are fought by uh, the working class, mm-hmm. started by the upper class, who are too damn scared to go fight their own problem. Yeah. Well, sounds right. good. Sounds really good. You know, um, uh, one of the things like when, with doing this podcast, like so some, I've had guests on here. Very interesting that, character, uh, different. Yeah. Did we lose you? Did you lose me? Uh, I think we froze. You, you, up fro- you froze, David. We froze up for a little bit. Yeah, but, like, like much that? like that. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> but we were talking about the uh, the movie anyway, about captives, about the uh, priest. Um, you know, when he, you know, the Satan movie. One of the things I, I get on my podcast sometimes, I've had guests that were sort of like cultish people. And I'm like, ooh, that's scary. <laughs> you know? And I don't want to have yeah. them back because I don't know well, what they're going to do with that. Crossing power. is about uh, a problem here in the world that's currently going on. It's about the harvesting of human organs. Hmm. And uh, a lot of people think that that doesn't happen. Excuse me. It must be a lot important. of people think don't believe that that, that takes place and it does uh, whether by volunteering your organs uh, there's impoverished people who will sell a kidney sell an eyeball feed their families and then there's unscrupulous people who will steal a kidney and steal an eyeball to make money and so it takes place at the border and it's about uh, obviously uh, uh, Immigrants, migrants who are trying to cross the border and uh, stuff that happens to them. But we like all the scripts. And again, Father Michael is in that script as well. Uh, we like right. that character. We think he's a, a can eventually become a, a character that people want to see again. We keep getting that with uh, Demon Fighter. Uh, people keep asking us, uh, you got you to gotta bring him back. You got to put him in another situation. Because uh, he's a unique character, right. you know, he's a kung fu master who mm-hmm. grew up in the, you know, the prison system, and uh, he's an exorcist now. Mm. So how do you put that combination together? Yeah, <laughs> that's the beauty of the imagination. You know, yeah, kind of get back to that Bigfoot, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I said maybe he could exercise a Bigfoot. Yeah, there you go. You or at know, least pull a thorn you, out. Of you, you, you never know when a Bigfoot might become possessed. That's right. That would not be good. Help us all. <laughs> you know? what, what if he thought that he was just a regular guy? He becomes possessed and he thinks he's just a regular guy, just a little hairy. Well, yeah. You know, I did, I, did, I did an episode once with somebody who had reported a Bigfoot crossing the street wearing a suit. <laughs> It happens. Well, that's funny. That's I just funny. want to know who the, who the tailor was. <laughs> Apparently, he had stolen the clothes off of somebody's clothesline. <laughs> so it didn't quite fit him right. And that's great. All the all the better. <laughs> That'd make a great comedy. Yeah, That'd make it a would. Great comedy, you know. And and he speaks English very articulate. Yeah, you know, and, and, with, a, and with an English accent, an English accent would be nice. No, yeah, yeah, and, British. And he walks up on these campers, right, and yeah. uh, they get freaked out, and he says, "Don't worry, I- I'm just a bit hungry, <laughs> and, and I, I smelled something so delicious it drawn me to you. Oh, the hair, I won't catch fire. I, I know how to stay away. <laughs> you know, I don't know." <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, but uh, I think it would be a basis of a, uh, of a comedy. Uh, we did a comedy called Love and Quarantine that takes place yeah. now. And it's about a couple that's been together for 20 some odd years, a biracial couple. One of the man's black, the girl's obviously white. And uh, they love each other just dearly until they're forced to stay confined with each other. Right. And all the little idiosyncrasies and shit that drives us nuts that we go to work and forget about, they can't go to work. Mm. So it pulls them apart. And through the movie and circumstances and things, they eventually come back together. Right. So it's a rom-com, but uh, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's doing really well. It's uh, got a, what is it, about a 8.9 rating on IMDb. And, yeah, 8 something. Uh, Correct. Yeah, yeah, doing very well. So we're, we're proud of that film. And it stars two really talented people, uh, N.J. Brown and Jeannie Young. Uh, they, they bust their butt through this. Uh, I, I think that's if you like comedies, I, I think that's one that you would be able to identify with. Uh, the irony of when we were shooting the film, a lot of actors came up to me and they said, "Are you sure this is a comedy?" Because <laughs> I don't play for the joke. Mm-hmm. I don't play scenes for the joke. I play for the reality. Right. The reality is always funnier than going for some cheap joke. Mm-hmm. And after they saw it come together, they're going, "That was pretty funny." Yeah, <laughs> I go right on. So, uh, but we'll see what happens. You know what your character reminds me of the, the the priest kung fu priest guy. You ever see Dead Alive where it has the priest and he goes, "I kick ass for the Lord." <laughs> no, I haven't, but I like the idea. Yeah, I like the idea. Yeah, it's, too. It's, it's, it's weird Peter Jackson movie. It was like one of his first movies. I'm gonna have to check it out. Wow, it's really yeah, cheesy, it. and how they use something like. 15 truckloads of fake blood in the movie. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, it's funny, though, how you went from, like, making that to making Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that was an incredible movie. Lord yes, it was. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So many layers to it. You know, that's yep. good. Yeah, it's not a movie you could talk about in five minutes. No. No, sir. <laughs> You can't watch it in five minutes either. It's like nine no, hours. That's so true. <laughs> so um, before we wrap it up, I want to thank you guys for coming on. Thank and, you, um, thank Also, you. where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your movies? Sure. To find David and me, I would suggest Facebook. We have a page for CRA Entertainment. You can also find us personally on Facebook, the films that we were talking and in this order, evil down the street Mm -hmm. crumbs, demon fighter, and also love and quarantine. They're available on Tubi TV, which is a great free platform. Also available on YouTube through indie rights channel, their, their channel, indie rights movies. You can also Google the films within YouTube. They will pop up. So those would probably be the two vehicles of choice, Tubi and also mm-hmm. YouTube. We do really well on those platforms. Yeah, I have a lot of people who uh, filmmakers that, that I've interviewed that do put their stuff out on Tubi now. Yeah, yeah, it's very user friendly. It, it's free for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, it does a really good job. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll put those links in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you guys, watch your movies, and check you Beautiful. out. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure having you. And um, if you ever want to make a movie about a down-and-out podcaster trying to <laughs> get a break in the media business, who would maybe like a spot you know, on Coast to Coast or something like that, let me know. You know, if you'd be willing to be... A Bigfoot who is a podcaster. I wouldn't be willing to do that. That might work. That might work. <laughs> hey, Craig, why don't you send him the, the tree, the link tree? I, have the, I think I did send I have, the, I have the link tree, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. yeah. Then you have access to them and, you know, you can see right where they're at. And, mm-hmm. By the way, uh, the we, sound is absolutely incredible in your films. Thank you. Like, like the first thing like, just jumped out. For some reason, like, the sound's like, whoa. Oh, right on. We, 
we'll pass that along to our, to our that so much. We had good. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure being on your show. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yes. Thank uh, you very much, Gary. You're welcome. And just hang on for one moment. And I was going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable.